0: hello everybody and welcome to another episode of moving into the future today we are joined by Laura Patel from density and a prop tech enthusiast. We're gonna have a nice conversation about the prop tech industry today and how it's been growing rapidly during the pandemic and what the future holds. Laura, thank you for joining us today
1: Thanks for having me yeah
0: this is really great you I must say are the first guest who I like actively recruited uh, oh. <laughs> to get on here. <laughs> Um, I've always been very uh, you know, I followed along you on LinkedIn and, and been very interested in, in, in what you do in your posts. So really thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh my gosh, I'm blushing. Yeah.
0: Guys, <laughs> uh so yeah, you know, let's uh let's add some depth. You know, you've been in the prop tech industry now for almost fifteen years, I suppose it's been. Yeah. Um which makes is cr- me sound very old. No, no, it's 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 really interesting because when you started, uh, you know, prop tech wasn't even a word yet. Uh, you know, you had got your start at Dirt, and and just so I'm understanding it correctly, Dirt is a technology company that uh, helps build offsite and, and then ship efficiently. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, d- to your earlier point, yes. Prop tech really has only come about in the last three years, um, maybe five tops. Previously, we didn't we didn't really have um, a, a word to coin what that represented, just because it it didn't have uh, ubiquitous adoption in the industry yet. Uh, Dirt specifically, what they do is they recognize that they're was an opportunity for innovation in the construction space. Construction in in the way that we build really hasn't innovated in over a hundred years. If you look back to the inception of drywall, which was like the last huge (laughs) innovation in the space that happened in, I I think it was like 1916 or 1909, somewhere around there. And we really haven't seen anything like that dramatically accelerated um, the efficiency, reduced cost and improved the quality of the product. And so DIRT recognized that there was an opportunity to bring in... um, BIM technologies and different types of automations within the design process, but then have that link directly through to offsite manufacturing, where you're leveraging all of the speed, efficiency, and reliability of um, you know a, a factory environment, which is why they don't build every single individual person's car in their driveway. Right. Um, and so they're just trying to take a lot of what we've learned from the automotives industry and bring it into construction.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. And you know, you mentioned that in terms of the real estate industry as a whole has really had a hard time and you know before the last 3 to 5 years where we've seen some growth is adapting and innovating with new technologies to create these efficiencies you know you mentioned construction moving is in the same boat where it's just been done like you know you mentioned drywall the dolly for us was like this huge you know innovation <laughs> that allowed okay. us to work more efficiently. And, you know, since then there really hasn't been much or at least nothing that's been industry standard. So, you know, that's really interesting. And now, you know, through your time at Dirt, how did you see, like, what was it that you were like, okay, wow, we're really onto something here. Wow, this is something I'm really passionate about. You know, what did you see in your time there that that really, you know, grew your passion for the prop tech industry?
1: I guess I would say two things. Um, the, the first is, getting to know the real estate space, you know, I fell backwards into real estate. It wasn't something that I I had sought uh, in in my career. I did a a degree in finance. I thought I was going to work in banking um, and then kind of just stumbled into real estate and fell in love. But um, you start to recognize the more familiar you become with the space that it is incredibly fragmented and decentralized. There's tons of layers of decision making. It's frankly very inefficient in a lot of ways because of that. And one of the things that I, I became very acutely aware of was this gap that exists between the, the design and the A&D side of the space and what, what they're sort of creating early in a project's life cycle and then how that uh, very starkly gets transitioned to the team that's actually going to build and, and make that vision a reality. And so the thing that I, I think solidified for me that Dirt really had a promising future, and um, a, a lot of other companies have popped up um, in the same vein since, like Falk Built, uh, which is another amazing company, um, was the fact that it, it helped to tie those two parts of the industry together where they were all happening under the same kind of super subcontractor. And you were using technology to ensure that the exactly what the designer designed was exactly what got built by the machine. So it just created that or harmonious um, connection between again, what could otherwise be very, very complicated, nuanced um, process with a lot of human beings that are just innately prone to make mistakes involved. And then the second thing uh, that I, I think was really interesting was, we started to see a lot of data come out from you know, the McKinsey's and the Boston Consulting Groups and the World Economic Forum talking about how the, millennium, the, the millennial generation weren't going into the trades. There was this huge push globally, um, but especially in North America, to uh, push people into white collar positions mm. that required university education. Right. And so you started to have this um, knowledge gap that was emerging with a lack of people entering the workforce. All the while, you started to see that the baby boomers were retiring. Right. And so it started to become pretty obvious that if you looked out 10 years, because it was people were already starting to feel it, but there was going to be a huge labor shortage in the construction space. And so the other thing, I guess, to summarize that I, I liked about it is a lot of the time technology gets villainized a bit because automation is replacing humans in the process. And one of the things I really liked about um, kind of focusing on, on this side of the construction spaces, you were using automation to fill a gap where uh, there were roles that people no longer wanted. Right,
0: right. And, and, you know, that's like the one of the most important things about technology is, you know, creating those efficiencies and, and filling those gaps. And, you know, I think that is part of the hesitancy uh, to prop tech that, that many people has had mm-hmm. is, you know, oh, it's taking jobs or, Oh, it's 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 making our service irrelevant in some sense um, or obsolete, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think that's been some of the hesitancy towards prop tech, uh, you know, and, and and why we've seen this slow, you know, just increase in usage and and acceptance. Uh, you know, it, it, would you agree with that? Because again, you've you've been in it for a while now, and it has been a slow adaption. Uh, what what do you think is the you know the cause for? The um just the unwillingness to 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 embrace it fully.
1: So why prop tech really hasn't right. exponentially taken right. off yet? Uh, I it's a complicated question. I think there's a number of reasons. Um, Innately, there just wasn't, if we kind of like take it back to how small companies or, or innovation happens um, in tech, it's it's obviously a lot of the time venture funded. I, I think at its core, there was a lack of um, VC interest in the real estate space for many years. Um, I think kind of going back to what we were talking about with um, a lot of people not finding real estate or construction particularly sexy uh, when you're choosing your career path. You didn't have a lot of entrepreneurs that were like, oh, I really want to come out with a a real estate technology. So there was a lack of um, innovation on the founder side, and then there was a lack of money available to support those businesses. Um, So that's kind of at the the core of, um, you know, when you start to see entrepreneurship emerge within a space, that was lacking. And then when you... Kind of fast forward. You have the companies that have been created. You're starting to see a bit of momentum with with investment and with innovation in the space. The reason I think it hasn't taken off is the real estate industry is incredibly risk averse right. at its core. Um, you look at you know how slowly we do innovate. Uh, why there are so many layers of decision making. Ultimately, those all serve to hedge against risk. Right. And so. That when when you have a, a brand new idea that could be radically disruptive, I think that there's a bit of an affront to the traditional way that real estate operates, innately baked into that. And then beyond that, in real estate, I mean everything is on kind of a long term. The buy cycle is very long. The implementation cycle, because we're physically like doing things in a space, uh, is very long. And then the payback is is going to be years as opposed to months. And so when you Think about technology, it's changing rapidly, it's changing on a weekly, monthly basis. And yet you're talking about selling it into a space where they may not realize the benefits for for two years out. Right. It takes a pretty visionary, assertive, strong leader who really believes in the benefits that it has to afford, to be like, I'm gonna do that. I, I would sort of liken it a bit to solar. Mm-hmm. You know, solar has a longer payback. You have to really believe in in the fact that this is how we're we're going to power our buildings in the future to make that investment now. Um, so I, th- again, very complicated answer because there's just so many reasons. Um, but I think the pandemic actually served as a nice accelerator to adoption in the same way that we saw fintech take off yep. amid the uh, financial crisis in 2008. So I think the years to come are really bright.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say too, because you had mentioned like the use of space is what really interested you You know in um in in the prop tech world and uh you know i definitely see that and now too coming out of the pandemic you say how it's accelerating the prop tech industry that couldn't be more true just because a lot of buildings right now are sitting empty um and that is you talk about that risk aversion uh you know these are big risks that people are are taking on so they're looking for solutions to to fix this And, and you know prop tech and and um services like density that offer you know space utilization and space occupancy software to understand how these buildings are operating how people are using the spaces becomes so much more valuable now because you're giving depth to the building itself and you know that building is now telling you a story as far as how it's being utilized and and how it's functioning and why it may be functioning in certain mm-hmm. areas and it's you know it's not just density there are other Uh, technologies that that work together to tell this story Um, and I think that's becoming very appealing to companies because it's all unknown right now and you know no company or no building or you know landlord or developer has the answer so we're all kind of searching right now and I think that's kind of the state of the industry right now and why companies like Density are, are are so appealing, uh, you know. Would for you, sure. yeah, would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I, I currently work for Density, um, amazing company, just huge rocket ship that's taken off, especially amid the pandemic, but even before. Um, and basically, Density allows organizations to have an analytics layer that's humming above their physical real estate, letting them aggregate data anonymously on how their spaces are used and use oh. that to make decisions. Um, I think to to answer your point, one of the things that originally attracted me to density is real estate is for most organizations, their second largest operating expense uh, with people being mm-hmm. the most. And yet historically, none of them have known how their spaces are used. And so it's the, it's the only part of kind of how you manage most businesses where it's sort of a black hole. We have no visibility or data into whether or not it's, you know productive. It's you know deriving a return on investment. Um, and I think the pandemic actually cast a spotlight on that. C-suites had a lot of questions about real estate as we started to do this mass exodus events event going into. The first few months of the pandemic, and real estate teams were completely ill-equipped to respond to them because they they didn't have literally any data about how their spaces were were being um, utilized. And so, I think it uh, opened up a lot of budget because it exposed this gap in how the businesses were being managed. And then I think as we we start to see people coming back to the office, this is we're entering unprecedented times, and I mean we've kind of been living through them yeah. together, but the way that we work is fundamentally going to change. Um, It obviously has always changed, it's evolved, but it's evolved really slowly. If you look back on like workplace trends, they were usually over the course of a year, if not 20 years, we're gonna see wild changes and we've already started to see the start of that just in the next five years. And so organizations recognizing that they can have this information and this technology available today, they wanna be able to operate their spaces with a lot more agility. And they're only going to be able to do that if they have a feedback loop implemented like a density to be able to understand, you know, on a weekly or monthly right. basis how their space is serving the needs of their their team members and make adjustments accordingly.
0: Right. And that's what I was going to mention. You know, having that data to really pool, whether it be a week or a month or a quarter or a year, is going to be so valuable to, to companies to see how their spaces um, are utilized. And, and one of the things you mentioned, too, is the evolution of the workspace and how it's really happening before our eyes and i had this conversation with kevin last time uh millennials as a whole have really you know forced this change in how we work even before the pandemic you know you think of things like um even the casual attire or business attire that we've you know promoted in, in working from anywhere which was you know a little bit taboo before the pandemic but now we've proven is very doable and you know very possible uh you know these sort of things you know are, are ways that that we've pushed the envelope and and are going to continue to push the envelope and we were having the discussion as to why that is you know why else do you think that is do you think it is you know technology based do you think um, It is just because of how we've grown up with technology and use technology and we're always on. So therefore, when we're in the office, you know, it needs to be a purpose. And, you know, I want to come dress like this because I dress like this when I'm working at home, too. You know, and like Mm -hmm. that's just part of how we work now. You know, do do you do you think that's the case or, or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, poor millennials. We've we've gotten a bad rap, I think, for some of the negatives that we've brought to the office, like you know, necessitating a hundred different kinds of nuts and <laughs> wanting to bring our dogs to work. Um, but I, I I think a lot of the changes have been very positive, and they'll they'll benefit generations to come. I do too. As far as why we've you know, re- we've, we've wanted those things in our workplace. I think it, and this is not a, a particularly revolutionary concept. I think a lot of people have, have already spoken to this, but it is because we don't have that, you know, clear work-life divide anymore. Right. Like we're not clocking out at five o'clock and heading home to live our real life. Exactly. Um, and so we're expecting to be able to infuse more of our real life into our, our nine to five and our um, whatever hours we are, um, you know, I'm making bunny ears, but our professional selves. Um, where I think we're pushing the envelope with technology is the more you start to decentralize where you're working, where you're not doing it at your like individual workstation, it means that you're going to have to have technology throughout the workplace and then now extending into your home that's going to support um, ha- however you typically get your, your work done. I think it's going to become even more important as people come back to the office. Uh, I was you know, moderating a panel recently and one of the things that I thought was really striking is As much as we all complained about Zoom, and we all found it kind of dehumanized our work experience, we got kind of used to the luxury of having a frame that had every single individual person that was participating in the meetings face uh, with their their, um, title, and their company, and their name. And so it made it really easy to collaborate virtually. And now that we have people going back to the office, I think that we're going to have to come out with new technologies that allow for that same experience for people that are working from home who want to be participating in a meeting that may be happening partially in real life. And so the the parallel that came out in this panel that I thought was really striking was if I'm sitting at home and for whatever reason, be it personal, um, or you know maybe it, it's this fall and some people still aren't comfortable being in person and heading back to the office, I don't want to be disadvantaged uh, from the fact that I'm not sitting around the boardroom table and I don't know who some of the individuals are that's speaking and I don't have the luxury of a Zoom screen right. that's telling me that that's actually Jack that's talking right now and so as much as we've set up the workplaces really infused with technology to support work as it's evolved over the last few years, I think we're, we're entering into a stage where not just um, is there going to be huge investment on the companies with kitting out their, their offices, but there's actually going to need to be more innovation on the technology front to address these needs because we'd never had them before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's going to be really interesting too. And, in, in, you know, how companies uh, reconfigure their spaces to fit these technology needs, you know, whether it is like better acoustics or, you know, some sort of software that allows for, uh, you know, um, virtual communication Mm. to be a little bit easier or whatever it may be, it's all going to be very interesting. I mean, I know recently we saw Mark Zuckerberg came out with the Mm -hmm. uh, VR glasses that are going to be used for. You know, conference rooms, and and we can be anywhere, and put the VR glasses on, and it'll be like we're in the room. Yeah. You know, that's certainly some next level stuff. Um, but the other proponent to that is, you know, the furniture aspect, and I think that's where we come in at the advanced group, uh, in and how we work together at Density. So, uh, just to add some depth, uh, I, I do work with a, a few individuals at Density because the way that I see it working is the uh, information that they get gather from density as to how their space is working, we can be very uh, flexible and uh, dynamic in terms of reconfiguring that space quickly. So again, whether it is on a weekly or monthly or quarterly or yearly basis, we work together where density provides the data and then the advanced group provides the services in order to reconfigure that spaces. And you know that's what we've been seeing a lot through the pandemic mm-hmm. is making spaces much more configurable. I think we talked about it like Google has been doing this for years where like all of their desks are on wheels and conference room tables are on wheels and stuff like that. and can be foldable. And I think that's it already is becoming so prevalent uh, between that type of flexibility and then also the personalized workstations between like the phone booths and uh, those private type of rooms where, you know, an employee can go in and get that private work done. while also though and i think this is going to be the key moving forward is having good lighting and (laughs) and and really good acoustics and stuff like that so when you are holding those zoom meetings you know it doesn't it doesn't interfere with with the work being done what else have you been seeing you know from the data garnered from density and this would probably be with more of your bigger clients that you know the data they've got and how they've applied it to their spaces i mean i could imagine it's a lot of like uh space efficiency so like you know maybe it's okay we don't need that second floor or maybe we do um you know what mm-hmm. what have you been seeing with your bigger clients that uh, that has been valuable to them based off densities uh technology
1: I would bucket it into to two different camps. One is kind of those macro portfolio level insights, um, which is your head of global real estate is really focused on. So, okay, they're they're almost like the bat phone where they're right. getting a call once a day, especially with the larger firms uh, from some business unit who's telling them that they're dying for more space, having. Again, it, it's totally anonymous, but it at least is by department. If you're, for example, if you have a, a finance team that's situated in Hong Kong, you understand that the data related to that office uh, pertains to the utilization of that finance team. And so, when that head of finance calls you and says, "Reversing at the seams, we need more space," you have this objective source of data to refer back to and helping to inform that that decision, um, validating that need. Or from a position of, again it's not you're removing emotion from it you're falling back on the data being able to come back to the negotiating table with your internal client and saying like actually the data doesn't substantiate that need so i think we we've seen a lot of that in terms of right-sizing portfolios um, less so downsizing. So, hey, you know, in our Texas office, we're only at 60% utilized. We need to pare down that lease. The the reality of lease terms makes it a bit less um, fluid with mm-hmm. being able to make those adjustments unless you're in a flexible office. But we've seen it be an enormous tool to hedge against um, unnecessary growth. And there's huge implicit cost savings in that relative to, you know, expanding your leases um, and then also the, the construction, the moving costs, right. et cetera, et cetera. Um, If you take it more micro, I find that very interesting, which is really understanding the workplace. And that's kind of what you were alluding to before. And that's where I think we're going to see the most interesting um, data kind of come out of this return to office post-pandemic. The types of things that we see are, okay, our conference rooms are crazy well utilized. Maybe they're utilized 80% of the time during working hours or more. But we're able to take that a step further and say your six person conference room is actually 73% of the time only used by one person. And so if you're a, you know, a Facebook or a LinkedIn or one of these high, high collaboration tech companies, especially where your team members, even before pandemic, were really only coming into the office to work with their peers, those communal like um, shared amenity spaces and collaboration spaces are wildly expensive assets if they're sitting vacant. Mm -hmm. And so being able to understand um, misutilization is actually more important and a more telling data point. And back to your point, the quick fix to that is, okay, great. We invest in a couple hundred dollar phone booths um, and hopefully that alleviates the issue such that you're able to have more team-based work occurring in those rooms.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, again, is going to be, a, you know, a, a massively important function of the workplace uh, moving forward is its purpose. And I mentioned this before, I say it on the podcast mm-hmm. all the time, it's it's almost essentially going to be like a retail space. Like, how are you mm-hmm. building an office out that draws employees in, you know, whether it is Forex Function, which is obviously going to be a, you know, a major percentage of, of that reason, but, you know, also the amenities around it and you know we were talking before about how uh millennials have, have changed the workplace a lot of that stemmed from the engineers in the tech world yeah who true. were like you know i need this and i want that and which it, is
1: still kind of the case it they're, is. they're super hard to recruit it yeah. is it
0: is and they know how competitive they know their are worth like yeah. more so than anybody else in the workplace yeah um and and i think that's why you know that's why you see the cafeterias and you see the gyms or, or, or this and that but um, those are also going to be very appealing tools to get people back into the office. You know, when I was at Indeed, they had uh, like Wednesday night hit classes and yoga and stuff like that. And like, that's a huge draw, you know, to come in and you can combine that with the collaboration that you want in the workplace
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and also, you know, enhancing your culture through that. So, you know, I, I think that those are going to be really cool tools and also how Density can help by saying like, okay, you know. This event was really, really positive. We, we saw a ton of traffic, you know, the foot traffic through doors and the sensors, you know, were very active. We, we saw this many people, you know, between these times as opposed to this event that wasn't, you know, so appealing and didn't work out well. And, you know, the amount of money that you can save through that, I, I, I think is 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 very, very uh, beneficial.
1: Well, and you're hitting on a whole other dynamic of it, which is the employee experience and how you can elevate that. People are only going to come into the office if they know they're going to see their friends, um, if they want to collaborate for a meeting, or if the office has amazing amenities to offer them, um, You know, great coffee, snacks, right. whatever, a great location. And so all of those things are super important. But the more you can supplement that experience with technology to make it even smoother, I think that's going to actually be the next frontier and kind of what we're starting to see now. Um, Meeting rooms is a good example. OK, I want to book a meeting room, but I want to be able to see if if one's available immediately. And I don't want to walk past five that are vacant right. but show booked. Um, and then if you take that more to kind of the perks, one of the things that I, I think was very innovative even before the pandemic but is going to be more prevalent is we're busy. Even when we're in the office, you know, as much as we were there to socialize and to to see our colleagues, like we still have deadlines and we still have to get work done. Sitting at my desk, I don't want to get up and walk all the way to the gym or walk to the cafeteria only to see that there's like a massive queue that I'm right. going to have to wait in for 30 minutes. That's not an optimized use of my time. And so I want to be able to, from an employee experience app, see how busy those amenities are, make decisions on the fly without having to leave my desk. So I think the more we can kind of create um, an Ecosystem where yes, it's serving a, a specific real estate need for the leadership team. It's it's um, facilitating decision making. It's optimizing the performance of the space. But then you know, as an aggregator of data, that information is also flowing through to the the hands of the employees on their cell phone, so that they're empowered to make decisions. Um, I think it's going to elevate the employee experience.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's like the next step in prop tech is like you know, right now it's so focused on the the people spending the money, you yeah. know, the developers, the property managers, the, mm-hmm. the the companies, how it evolves to be more user friendly and user appealing, I think is going to be so important for companies. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, how you sell that to companies and say like, hey, listen, like this is going to be used as a tool for employee retention um, is going to be really neat because what it comes down to is, the users you know is it is this really appealing to it you you can sell them on it but you know our employees really using it and 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 you know is it getting them to come into the office because that is going to be the most important and difficult thing for employers is mm-hmm. to get people back into the office obviously safety is like at the forefront of that mm-hmm. but once we get beyond that and for that matter prop tech is is there for the safety aspect as well but how we get beyond that is is um, is going to be so, so fascinating. And I'll tell you what, whoever figures it out is going to make a lot of money. Um, to so your y-
1: point, though, just to add one thing. Unfortunately, you know, th- a lot of the time decisions are based on payback, right. right? And that is really hard to quantify. Right, exactly. And so uh, I think it... To, to totally echo your point, it's going to be the next frontier because they're going to have to have validated those investments can help their bottom line before that's going to become like the next shiny thing that makes it attractive. Exactly, um, And that's why that those weren't what was the leading reasons for adoption of prop tech earlier on is um, sometimes it, it's really hard to actually make those justifications.
0: Right. And not only that, but like even from a user experience standpoint, like people... If if you tell somebody to use something, they're not just going to use it. Like wayfinding is a great example. Like wayfinding is a great technology in offices, but half the employees don't know how to use it or, or don't even know it's available. Mm-hmm. So like you know how you go about like making it like cool, I guess you could say, um, it, it is going to be very fascinating, and uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. So that is one side of it is how cool it is, but then the other side that we also need to, you know, worry about and and certainly take notice of is the privacy aspect because, you know, so much of our life right now we do make available, you know, through the Facebooks and the Instagrams and, you know, I'm thinking about a pair of shorts and then I look at my Instagram and all of a sudden Nike's selling me shorts, (laughs) you know? So what we need to really understand through this too is like, how is privacy, uh, Going to be a main function of this, making sure you know employees' data is safe, um, and not just the employees, but also company data remains safe. So, you know, wh- wh- what are your thoughts on that that portion of it?
1: Yeah, I think we're we are in the midst of a a very challenging time for companies in that they want to make these these investments. They're excited about the the technology, finally, but we're sort of. Teetering on this fine line between um, doing things that are in the best interest of the company and potentially entering into a surveillance state where we're making decisions that uh, adversely affect our employees. And so I think. I feel good working for a company like Density because Mm -hmm. privacy was actually part of the founding principles of the organization. And I've had the benefit being on the inside of participating in meetings where it continuously is brought up like, no, we don't want to go down that path because it would undermine our uh, commitment to privacy. And by design, the technology is anonymous at the source. A lot of technologies anonymize, which means that they are collecting data. Um, They are collecting photos. They're collecting videos of your space, but then they're using technology to anonymize it. I'd have some heartburn around that, especially yeah. with... It's a touchy um, subject. It's, it's touchy. It's really touchy. Right? Um, I think I would have a hard time getting up and going to work every day um, in that environment, but it's it's great for me just because everything we do is incapable of collecting uh, any personally identifiable information. But to answer your question more, more broadly, I think organizations um, now have to kind of follow or, or look to what's happening with the Facebooks and the Instagrams. You know, we all invited those companies into our our lives via our phone five years ago. And I was like you. I was delighted when I would say, oh, I need new mascara. And all of a sudden, you know, 15 amazing mascaras would present themselves to me um, while I was catching up with what my friends and family were doing on Instagram, realizing now that that's because it was listening. It's collecting a whole bunch of data about me and it's it's selling that, um, you know, Facebook, um Less so some of like the, the Twitters of the world, but for sure Facebook has really um, been getting a lot of scrutiny in the last year, especially with regards to their lack of regard for privacy of their users. And I think real estate uh, decision makers right now need to heed that because, yes, it may be more cost effective to just purchase a software that's going to run on a security camera in your space to do facial recognition. But five years out, what kind of reckoning are you going to have from your employees and pushback? So making decisions now that are um, privacy focused, whether or not there's the regulations in place or whether or not you've had any blowback from your employees, I think so- someone in the recently mentioned that it's a lot harder to earn back trust uh, after you've lost it than to just retain trust. Um, you're entering into a contract with your employees the, the, the day that they accept the offer right. to come and work for your company, and they are entrusting that you have their best interest. And so make those decisions today, uh, protecting that privacy such that you don't have to, to pivot and respond to it down the road if it becomes something that they ask for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just to stem off that, too, is really working with, you know, privacy focused companies. I've seen densities technology at work and it, and it is strictly that, yeah. you know, it's all like gray space. And you can see, obviously, that, you know, there is like a person there, but you have no idea who that person is or what they're wearing or, you know, even if they're male or female um, or, you know, a- a- any other gender. It's um, it's completely private in that regard. So, yeah, that is uh, extremely, extremely important. Uh, so, so, Laura, you know, thank you so much for this conversation today. Um, it, it, it's been very uh, informative and exciting. I, I think we have a lot to look forward to in the prop tech industry. So I'm hoping we can do this again someday.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jack.
0: No, it's my pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we're looking forward to the next episode. Bye. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast at theadvancedgrp.com. That's theadvancedgrp.com.